All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Ben said, my name is Julio, and I'm excited to uh, get to share with you this morning. I, I feel like we've been talking about prayer lately, uh, and uh, to be honest, I've just been blessed by the sermons uh, in the previous weeks that uh, we have been learning. And, and there's, a, there's an illustration, if you were here about three weeks ago, that Ben shared about his family going to Disney Springs and her da- his daughter asking for, for something. And and uh, it was something to eat, I think. And, and he said, listen, I know that's what you want, but that's not what you need. And I thought, I was sitting in the back, and I thought, how many times have I said those words to my daughter? How many times I've preached on that? But for a reason, I don't know why, it, that day it, it hit me. And I felt like, God, I, I need to repent. I really thought, God, so many times I've, uh, I've wondered and I've asked for you to give me something and later on, you know, maybe a few months later, I look back and I think, God, thank you for not giving me that. Um, and we're going to talk about that because I think it, it, it really comes along with the topic that we're going to, that we're talking about prayer. Now, a few years ago, we were, uh, I was part of the staff of a church who was getting ready to launch, and uh, we were told that um, in church planting, which is the beginning of a church, that a lot of things happen uh, towards uh, the, the launch. In other words, like, as you prepare for the very first service of a church, that a lot of strange things happen. And we learned about that, we heard about it, but we're like, you know, it, it, it's not going to happen to us. And I remember the week before our very first service, things started to happen. In other words, like, uh, uh, you know, the AC was breaking, was broken for, uh, for one of our, uh, our staff. Um, another gentleman, we were on a staff meeting, and while we were talking about all these weird things happening that are just out of nowhere, and like some people talk about that as spiritual warfare, like when you're starting a church, it's, it's hard. Like there's an enemy that doesn't want a church to start, so, so all kinds of distractions. And I remember sitting in this staff meeting and one of our staff members gets a call and he immediately answers uh, which was not common he answers the call and he looks at the phone and then he gets up and heads out and then uh, we're like what, what's going on and then uh, as he comes back in to the room he says uh, listen like my credit card just got hacked and this has never happened to me in my life and, and little things like that that would take away you know that were distractions for us so in that meeting I remember our lead pastor saying Julio um, why, why don't you pray for us and pray that all these distractions go away and um and I thought, man, I prayed my heart out. You know, I'm like, God, would you take all these distractions away? Would you just make this day be smooth? I mean, we're doing this for you after all, right? This is a church that we're planting for you, not for us. So it's not like a selfish prayer. And I remember praying that. And then the next day, we get a call from the lead pastor saying, hey, I don't think I'm going to make it on Sunday. Like, I'm throwing up and I'm in pain. And I'm like, we learned one great lesson that week. And it's like, if you want God to move, never ask Julio to pray, okay? If you want for things to happen, don't ask Julio to pray. But, but you know, sometimes, depending on, on who you are and where, you at, where you're at in your spiritual life, you know, we ask for things, right? And, and they're great things. I was uh, reading, I Google, like, people, uh, what are some things that people pray for? And uh, 
you know, it's the common stuff. Like we pray about for marriages. People pray for their families, for if there's an illness or a sickness, people pray for that. But I was surprised by the prayers of like 5% of Christians, all right? Um, 5% of Christians, according to this survey, uh, pray for people to get fired at their jobs. And I thought, oh my, that is very creative. I've never thought about that. But, but there's another 5% of that group that was served that says hey, they pray for for bad things to happen to other people. And I thought, man, what, what is going on? Like, how can we consciously think God is going to do something bad for somebody else for our behalf, right? Like, they're, they're God's children as well. I, I was so surprised by that. But when we pray, you know, we have different reasons to pray. Our wants, our needs are genuine. And I just want to say that, you know, it doesn't matter what we pray for. I think that God wants to hear our, our wants, that God wants to hear uh, our desires. You know, that there's no thing that is too little or too big for, for God. But, but this is uh, the thing that I don't want you to miss. God is more interested in, uh, in who you and I are becoming more than in uh, what we're getting or what we have. You know, a couple of years ago, we went to Disney Springs with, uh, with my daughters and uh, Keziah. Um, she's my 10-year-old now. She was about eight at the time. And I remember we had, we had lunch together at home, and we said, hey, let's, let's just eat at home. That's going to be easier, and, um, and we don't have to spend a lot of money at Disney Springs. So we're, we'll, we ate, and we got in the car, and it's just like we get in the car, and my eight-year-old says those magic words, I'm starving, all right? And I'm like, honey, you're going to be okay. You've had breakfast and lunch already, okay? But I feel like I'm going to die. And I'm like, honey, trust me, people, human beings could probably go, I don't know, 40 days without eating. You're going to be fine, all right? You're going to be totally fine. And, and she's like, but I feel like I'm going to starve. And I'm like, we're not, we're not stopping for a snack at all. So we didn't. And we get to Disney Springs and, you know, there are all kinds of things to buy. And there's this sword that she really liked that had all kinds of lights. And uh, first thing that she says is like, daddy, can I have that sword? And I'm like, not happening. All right. Uh, I have a rule in our home where we have all this stuff that is like, if you're going to bring something home, something else has to leave our house and if you buy one some another toy is gonna have to come out of your your money and so I'm not giving in you know she's selling me she's begging me and I'm it's a little bit embarrassing I mean if you're a parent you understand she's pouting crying and everybody's looking at us like what kind of parents are you like what are you doing to this child and I'm just I'm not giving in I'm like we're not getting anything this is not what we came but she's like but that's what I want. And I'm like, we're not gonna, gonna get it. You know, when we were in Indy, um, she wanted a horse. All right. And I'm like, that's not happening ever. All right. We're not getting a horse. And, uh, but she, but you know, later on this, she would not forget about the horse thing. So we would go to just different places and God for my birthday, uh, dad for my birthday, can, can I get a horse? Can, can I get a horse? And it would come on and on and on. And finally, I'm feeling like maybe what if I'm, I want to give this to her. I, I really feel like as a father, like I want to I wanna make and do things that are going to bring her joy. 
And I was actually thinking, you know, one of my friends that co-owned a horse and he's like, that's the way to go. You know, you co-own a horse and you don't have to take care of it all the time, but it's the way to go. And I was really thinking about it, but then we moved and thankfully I didn't have to buy a horse. All right. So, but, but there, there are those ones, but this is the thing. I am, I am not concerned about what we get or about what she had. See, I understand that we as parents, and, and if you love your kids and if you care about your kids, you're constantly thinking about who you want them to become more than what they get or what they have. And I think that if you in your, in your lives, if you think about, about a coach, if you think about a preacher, a teacher, there were people who challenge you, not, not based on the achievements that you could get, not on what you could have, not on what you could get, but they challenge you and they transform you. And what they challenge you to uh, shaped you in a way that make you who you are now. See, God is not worried about, hey, blessing us in that way, but he's more concerned about who we are becoming in the process. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to go to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. This is a very fascinating story. I'm sure you have read this this, uh, this, this um passage before, but I'm just going to go through it, and then uh, we're going to learn what Jesus has to say to his disciples about what God wants them to become, or who he wants them to become. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse, verse 1, uh, reads like this. If not, you can follow along on the screen, but it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. All right, let's, let's just stop right there for a moment because, you know, this alone, if you've ever wondered, should I pray, this alone should be a reason to pray. Think about this. I mean, Jesus has all the power in the world. He can do whatever he wants. He has the closest relationship with his heavenly father. I mean, he's in control of everything. He is sinless. He never sinned. And yet, he is praying. And I'm thinking, man, this alone is enough reason for us, for us to pray. And then he says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. I was at NC Youth uh, teaching the other day, and we were talking about this, uh, about the idea of prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 5 and 6, that, that same, uh, a similar kind of prayer. And there Jesus tells uh, uh, the people, he says, when you pray, don't go out on the street and, and, uh, uh, and, and like hypocrites do, but go into your room, close the door, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret. And he says, and the reward is not like God is going to give you whatever you want. The reward is a relationship with your heavenly father. So I was sharing with the students that, you know, it's not like there's something mystical about the particular place where we go to pray, but there's something that has to be said about the fact that we focus and that we get, you know, isolated and that we have a relationship with God and a conversation with him. Jesus is often seen uh, going to solitary places just to pray and, uh, and to speak with his heavenly father. I mean, you guys, you guys get that. Maybe um, I, I remember that. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, you know, if a guy wanted to date, was uh, ask a girl on a date, he would go, he would go to her father and say, hey, uh, can I take her on a date? And the father's like, absolutely, go for it. Younger brother's going with you, all right? 
He's going. It's like, what, but, but why? I mean, it's not like we're going to do anything wrong or anything. We're just going to watch a movie. Yeah, he's going with you. Why? Because it is the, the topics of the conversation are different when there's another person involved, right? I mean, if you want to have a deep relationship with any individual and you want to find intimacy and you want to find closeness, you need that one person alone. You don't need extra people around you. And God kind of had that sense. He says, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray, go, go to a certain place. And from other texts, we learn, hey, a solitary place. So he says that. And then he says that his disciples, um, when he had finished, his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Did you know that the disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them anything else except to pray? I mean, I can think of so many other things that they could have asked. I can go back. If you were to go to your Bible in uh, Luke chapter 8, uh, Jesus uh, heals a sick woman. In, in chapter 9, he heals a, 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 man, a boy. He feeds 5,000 people in chapter 9. And I'm thinking, man, if you're the disciples, wouldn't you say, hey, Jesus, why don't you teach me how to heal somebody or feed somebody? I mean, the disciples knew that at some point in their lives, there's going to, you know, that would have been handy for them. If they could say, you know, a relative or somebody close to them that, gotten, that would get sick, that they could have come and said, oh, I know, I know how to do, I know how to heal. Jesus taught me. I mean, why didn't they ask him to teach them how to heal? I mean, in, in, uh, in, uh, you know, in chapter 8, he says, Jesus raises a dead girl, a 12-year-old girl from the dead. I mean, she, so, so she, he does this. Why didn't the disciples ask him to teach them to do that? You know, there's so many other things that I can think that they could have said, Jesus, teach me this. And instead they say, Jesus, teach me, teach us how to pray. And I don't know what you think of when you think of, of prayer, right? Like, I think prayer can be a little bit intimidating. You know, the simple formula for prayer would be having a conversation with God, but there's a little bit more to prayer. And if you lived in a Christian environment, you know exactly what, what I'm talking about. Maybe you were put on the spot to pray in a, in a meeting. I get terrified, by the way, when we're in a group of 20 people, 30 people, and I get this hunch, they're gonna ask me to pray. And I'm like, God, please don't, please don't. And boom, they ask me to pray. And then, and then at that moment, like when they asked me to pray, like my mind goes blank. You know, I don't remember the prayer. The only reason I know my, you know, my prayers made sense is they asked me to pray again uh, in the future. But otherwise, I'm like, you know, I get that blank uh, mind. And, and I think that some of you may have had a, an experience like that if you grew up in church. Uh, we do some weird things in church, too. I don't know if you've been uh, um, uh, holding hands with somebody in, in a circle and they do the double squeeze. Uh, have, you, have, you, have you experienced that? I, I, uh, yeah, it goes like if you if you're if you did not grow up in church it goes like at the end amen it goes like bam bam all right <laughs> right there so so yeah I was with a friend who had never been in a church before and, and he brought this up to me and he says what's up with the squeeze man like what is that for <laughs> and I'm like honestly I don't know I don't even know where that came from yeah so so Jesus you know he, he's teaching these people his disciples how to pray and I think, and I think the disciples, they actually grew up praying. 
these were Jewish boys who were taught at an early age to pray. You know, they, you know by, the age, by the time they're teenagers, they, they should have been expert prayers. And, and I think, though, that there are seasons in our lives, though, when, when, when our prayer life can be a little bit weak. And it's never like we've accomplished that we're like excellent prayer people. As a matter of fact, people I know who pray a lot, who spend a lot of time converse, you know, in conversation with God, they would never say, I'm there. I'm 100%. You know, it's an ongoing thing and learning process in, in communicating with God. So, so Jesus does not belittle them, actually. He goes on to say, uh, when you pray, say, Father. Right, Father, hallowed be your name. That's verse 2. Father, hallowed be your name. The, the word father here can also be translated as, uh, as daddy. As daddy. I was talking to, to my wife about this because, because I, I, think, I can think of three words. You can, you can have the word father, right? And father involves some kind of relationship. Right, like if somebody were to approach you, dads, as father, it would be a little bit strange. But in some families, it's, it's something usual, common, right? But there's this sense of respect that I, I don't move, I don't do anything unless I have the authority by this higher figure that I call my father. There's little relationship there. And then there's the word dad, right? And the word dad, it's more like, hey, we have a relationship. I like you. I love you. Let's hang out sometime, all right? Um, we can go to some games together, watch, whatever. And then there's the daddy. And the daddy word, it's, it's intimate. It's like very close. When, when your kids or our kids call you daddy, there's this sense of you're approachable. I can talk to you. You're great. Now, for some reason in our culture, you know, we forget somehow. I don't know the age. It's different for everybody. But at some point, daddy becomes dad, right? And we don't go calling our, our dad's daddy. It would be a little bit weird. Where I grew up, though, and, uh, and I know that every Spanish, uh, you know, culture is different. But where I grew up, daddy keeps on till, you know, forever. So I have my 69-year-old dad calling his 92-year-old dad daddy. And he goes, daddy. And it's, it's very common. And, and we don't have the word father. Uh, I mean, we do have a word for that. But it's never, it's never used. So we have dad and we have daddy. And when we hear somebody call somebody dad, it's like, oh, what's, what's going on, man? Like, are you not close with your dad? You know? But, but daddy, and it's, it's strange. Like, I call my dad daddy. And, uh, and I feel like now when they come visit, I'm like, should I call him daddy? You know, like, it's, it's a little bit weird. But it, it has this idea of intimacy and relationship. And I think it's very important for us to, to know that because that's our heavenly father. That he's not this figure that is like, you come with me with the respect and you come with me this particular way no it's like hey you can have a close relationship with him what follows seems like a dichotomy check this out hallowed be your name that's what it says hallowed be your name and this is acknowledging who god is like he's great and he's awesome so we come with in a, a way that we can approach him but we also come in a way that we realize who he is he's the creator of everything and then he says, your kingdom come, which is, hey, God, I pray your will. And then he says, give us each day our daily bread. 
which is God, please provide for us. And then he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Four sentences. Jesus said when he was asked, teach us how to pray, he used four sentences. I can think of so many other things that we could have talked about that he could have said. Things like posture. I think posture is, is important, right? Why, did he, why he didn't say, man, you come on your knees, right? You, you raise your hands. You take your hat off when you're going to talk to me. I mean, there so many things he could have done with posture. And I think there's a lot to say about that, that, you know, if, if my daughters are, are talking to me and not looking at me, I have a problem with it. Like, I, I want you to look at me in my eyes when I'm talking to you, when we're communicating. I want to see your eyes, right? He doesn't say that. I could have, I, I think he could have said something about, about time, Right, how about time? Why well, he didn't throw in there, hey, at least 5% of your, of your time, you need to pray. Um, a pastor, some of you may know, uh, Francis Chan, uh, used to be a, a pastor in, at Cornerstone in Simi Valley, California. And he would take his, his staff and he would say, tell me if you're not praying for an hour so that I can fire you. He would say, and there was this expectation that pastors could pray. So, so I'm thinking here, man, Jesus could have said, Minimum this time. I mean, he could have talked about the condition of our heart. Wouldn't you think he would have said, listen, when, clean, clean your act together first, and then you can come to the heavenly father. And he says, no, no. if you want to pray, these are, these are, this is the pattern. This is how you should pray. And then he tells this fascinating story. It says, verse 5, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer. He says, and suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And uh, so, you know, when I think about this story, I feel like it's, it's a little bit different from our culture. But in that culture, it would be very proper for people to travel at night to avoid the heat of the day. So it's not, a, it's not a common for people just to travel at night and go from one place to another and try to knock on somebody's door to ask for, hey, can we stay here? So, so there's this guy, right, that who has a friend, comes to him and says, he has nothing. You know, his hospitality, which this is a culture where, where hospitality was a big deal. He has nothing, so he goes to his other friend. And his friend says, listen, man, like, I, I'm not going to get up. Like, the door is locked. Well, can you just unlock it? Well, it, it, was, it, it was a bigger deal then because the homes, if you've been at a village, maybe in a country with fewer resources where there's actually no power, as soon as the light of the sun goes out, you know, people go into their rooms and there's one room for the entire family which serves as the kitchen and the kids uh, sleep there with the adults and uh, when it's dark they lock these doors and sometimes they put these bars to for you know to reinforce the doors uh, at times it could take two people for that to do something like that 
So these guys saying, listen, I, I can't do this. I don't want to wake up my kids. I want to help you, but I I'm not going to. It's midnight, right? Think about some of your friends or neighbors who would be texting you in the middle of the night and they text you and you ignore it. And then they uh, call you and they leave you a voicemail. And then they're like, hey, since you're not answering, I'm going to come and honk the horn, right, at your home. And it's like, no, 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 don't ever do that. You know, like, I'll help you, whatever. Just ask, don't come back. Just leave the car keys, you know, and that whatever. And he's feeling, he's feeling that way. And then in verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, not because he's your friend, yet because of your shameless audacity. It says, uh, some versions say shameless um, persistence. In other words, and because... Because you don't care enough about your reputation. Instead, you're willing to do this. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, this doesn't reveal the character of God. But he's using, I think, Jesus, this example to explain how persistence is important in our prayers. How God is worried or concerned or more concerned about a relationship than just a transaction kind of thing. Give me this and I'll give you that. He's more wanting a relationship. He wants a relationship with us. Verse 9 says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you, not whatever you want, but the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, if, if imperfect people... If people who are, who are evil, who are imperfect, do the best for their kids, how much more your heavenly father? And I love that he says the Holy Spirit because, because God is more concerned about who we're becoming than what we're getting on that or our stuff. See, he, he understands that, that transactions, you know, if I give you this, it, it, it's, it's forgotten. But when we endure sometimes the pain and the difficulties of life, that we are transformed, that we become somebody different. You know, I, I was, uh, uh, have a friend who's uh, also a mentor, Dave Smith, and uh, he was in, in Indianapolis. And uh, I remember his prayer life. You know, like uh, this was a, a church where I served and he, when we had a decision to make, he would come into our office and say, guys, I'm going to go into a monastery and I'm going to pray for the next two or three days. And then we're going to make a decision on this. I am thinking like, just Google it, man. You know what I mean? Just, just figure it out. Read a book. Call somebody. And I also thought, what do you say? I mean, how do you pray for an entire day, two days, three days? And I remember him one time, you know, just coming into my office and we were talking and he's telling me, um, you know, that what he's going to do. And then he says, 
Julio, I never understood why I have such a strong back muscles. I'm like, what, what do you mean? And, uh, and he said, if I didn't have these muscles, strong back, I wouldn't be able to pick up my wife and put her on her wheelchair. And I'm like, oh, I was thinking something different, right? But I realized that his wife had had MS for more than a decade and her uh, condition was deteriorating, continues to deteriorate. And I thought, well, I mean, who thinks that way? You know, and in that moment, I, I remember just thinking, God, like, why, why Dave? I mean, this is a guy, I, you know, who loves his wife, who I saw him like feeding his wife. He would, you know, bring her to church and, you know, put her on her wheelchair and do all of this for him. I mean, he's one of the guys who I think of prayer or faith. I'm like, this is the guy that I look up to. You know, and I, was, I would think like, God, I know so many husbands that treat their wives in like a second-rate citizens of this world. And, and, and why, why his wife? Why him? I remember Nancy, the way they met is they went to a singles meeting. And, and Dave told me that um, they were praying in this circle. And when he heard her pray, he thought, she's going to be my wife. There was something special about the way she prayed. So I thought, of, I thought about Nancy, and I'm like, why her? She's one of the most faithful, patient human beings I've ever met. Why her? And then I feel like God whispers in my ear, and he says, listen, you see, Dave, you see that kind of love that he has for his wife? That's the kind of love that I, that I have for you. And then you, you think of, of Nancy. You, you think she's forgotten. You think I've ignored her. You don't understand. I can see her future. And when I see her future in heaven, she's doing quite okay. And in the process, they've become great heroes of the faith. Because of that. You know, I was uh, watching a documentary of ultra runners. And uh, there is a time when cyclists also as well, where they're biking. And they're biking for so many miles for so long that they forget where they're at. You know, they, they have to stop and ask, hey, how far am I? Where am I? I I'm where I am. Uh, I'm not saying that right, but you get the point. Um, and runners who run for more than 50, 100 miles, and, uh, and they go on and they start feeling pain on their feet. And, uh, and as soon as they start feeling pain, they don't, they don't stop. They keep going and they keep going to the point where the pain is forgotten. They go to their destination, and when they get there, they take their shoes off, and there's blood and blisters all over. And they're like, hey, did, did you feel that? It's like, I mean, I felt something, you know, but I didn't stop. And I think about those guys, because when they get there, when they get to their destination, there's this painful thing they've gone through that went to the back of their minds where they don't even think about it. It stopped hurting at some point, but they become somebody different their character is different 
And I think that's exactly what this text is suggesting this morning. That God is not interested in, hey, what, where you're getting or what you're getting or the, the, you know, the achievements. He says, who are you becoming? You know, what kind of relationship do you have with God? How do you pray? And I want to ask you these questions just, just to close. How, how would your prayers change in light of the fact that you, would, that you know that you can approach your heavenly father just as you are? I mean, how would your prayers be different if you know, hey, you know what? You don't need a special words and you don't need a special attire that you can just approach God how you are. How would they change? I mean, how would your prayers be different if you understood who God is? You know, in Job um, chapters 38 all the way through 41 or the book of Psalms, it talks about the splendor and the glory of God. Not one leaf falls from a tree without God's consent. And I'll tell you, sometimes when I read those verses, I go for an ask to God and I feel like, God, you, I think you got me. I mean, if you're in control of everything and I come with this little request that seems very small, I'm like, I, I think you got me. I think, I think you have my back. You know, how would your prayers change in light of that? If you know that God is this almighty, powerful being. How would your prayers be different if you know that God knows your future? You know, there was a time when, uh, a couple of years ago, when I prayed this prayer to God, and I, and I prayed it every day, and I'm like, God, do this for me, I beg you. And this is not for me, this is actually for you. You know, it was a ministry-related thing, and I'm like, people are telling me to do this, and God, I'm not moving unless you tell me, could you just, could you just do this little thing so that I would know? And it never happened. And uh, now, when I look back to that, I look, wow, my family had the potential to be broken because of it. But in the moment, it felt like, God, like I've given my entire life to you. I've served you all. Can't you just do this? And it's for you. It's not even for me. So how would your prayers be different if God knew your future, which he does? You know, how would they be different? How would your prayers be different, you know, if you knew that God is more interested in who you and I are becoming? You know, more than our stuff and our wants. Uh, what if God is more interested in that? And finally, you know, just as a church, what does it mean to be a church that it's a praying church? I mean, I'm not talking about a cute slogan and, and papers and handouts, but what, what would it mean for Trinity if we were a church that prays with the heart of God? If we understood our future, if we understood who he is, I think it would be a great, a great church. I think it would be a church that would honor God. I think it would be a church that, that where, the, where the little things and the little distractions are not as important. Because the bigger thing, it's in the right place.